Welcome to Node Up number 84. Today we'll be talking about a bunch of awesome IOJS stuff. Today's show is sponsored by Andiet, CodeShip, and Lyft Security. Our guests today are uh, Bradley Mech. Say hi, Bradley. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Bradley works at NodeSource and has been getting the Chrome Debugger tools ported to Node and does some awesome work on Node Archiver, just the loader module as well. Then we got uh, Trevor Norris on the line. Say hi, Trevor. Hello, hello. Trevor is an IOJS core contributor and wrote async wrap and all kinds of other awesome performance work. And I'm Michael Rogers. I do stuff. <laughs> I'll be the host today. Our first sponsor is uh, Andiet. Is your team using Happy or looking to start using Happy? Because Andiet has all kinds of awesome, happy people. That's not meant to be a pun. I just accidentally just said that. But uh, they have uh, two openings for node architecture audits uh, this month that are focused on the Happy framework. So if you want to get like a, a really clean audit and a nice bill of health, you can check them out. They've been helping enterprise companies ship node to production since 2010. So it's like early, early node days. <laughs> and yet just loves happy a lot they've done a ton of happy stuff they actually built the happy website for walmart labs so not only are they battle tested by walmart and they've gotten more and more powerful over time a happy aid has made it like a lot easier for uh, newcomers to adopt so with a staff of node veterans including two happy core members and it's a great option whether you're looking to start or improve your team's use of happy uh, you can start out by going to andyet.com and schedule a node architecture audit Okay, so IOJS has a roadmap now. The roadmap's been being worked on for quite a while. We had a long, long thread of people saying what their biggest complaint with Node was. People are very upset about streams breaking all the time. People really want better tracing and debugging. There weren't a lot of uh, you know crazy things that we had never heard before. People wanted you know more off like releases more often and a few things like that. But we also reached out to a bunch of companies and figured out what companies want, which was a little different from a lot of end developers. And from there we created this roadmap. So you can check out the the slide deck for the roadmap at roadmap.iojs.org or you can look at the full roadmap document which is in the repository called roadmap.md. Just a few kind of highlights real quick. We have a stability policy that essentially says that you know we're not going to remove JavaScript API that every you know, stable version that gets put out will increment the minor version if there's no new, or sorry, the patch version if there's no new API additions. If there are API additions, we're going to increment the minor version. And we're you know, going to increment the major if we introduce any backwards incompatible changes, but we haven't done that yet. And so we're following you know, a more strict December. As far as V8 changes, if V8 C++ changes can't be handled by NAN, then we are going to increment the major version. But if they can't be handled by NAN, we're going to consider NAN part of the platform, and we're just going to increment the minor. So now we have sort of like three channels or buckets for development that's going on. We have release, which is really like just the current stable releases that are getting pushed out right now. And any, any build that has a real version number on it, those are stable, they're ready for production. In a month or so, we're going to start doing nightly canary builds, and they're going to have the canary V8 in them, as well as any changes that we've taken that are good changes but are minor changes in compatibility that would necessitate us incrementing the major version. So that we can, yeah, everybody can test those out and, and get everything in line with whenever we decide to put those in the mainline release. And then we, we also have this new bucket called NG, or Next Generation, where it's just a GitHub repository where we're talking about what the next generation of the platform that's ES6, ES7-centric would look like. You can check out that at go to GitHub, IOJS slash NG. And then streams stuff. So real quick, I want to just talk about streams 
is a lot of people's biggest pain point. So the streams working group has taken over readable stream. I think we talked about that in the last podcast. So readable stream that Isaac wrote as the stream implementation for node core is now like in the official IOJS org and is the official stream module for IOJS. We just vendor that in like any other dev. So we're going to fix all the existing compatibility issues. I think most of them are already done. Simplify stream creation so that we avoid a lot of like crazy user error. We already have some work done there that went out, I think, like two minor releases ago, which is great. And then we're going to start exploring the what working group streams interface and figure out any compatibility issues and make sure those get fixed. And then, as Trevor has noted a couple times now, stream performance is garbage and it should be dramatically improved. So people are going to start working on stream performance here pretty soon. And that's it for part one. Do you guys want to, like, uh, so Bradley and Trevor, would you want to say anything about, like, roadmappy stuff? Any non-tracing related stuff? Because we have a whole section on tracing coming up. So. Yeah. So there's some stuff going on, mostly in Node, about getting internationalization loadable at runtime. And that's probably the biggest thing I'm involved with, but it'll probably flow into IOJS as well once we iron out what we want to do. So there, there's a couple things happening there. One is that BERT is trying to get down the sort of base size of getting just the ICU interface in so that we can start shipping that. And and actually, BERT's also been thinking about and working on a lot of the, the loader stuff as well on the IOJS side. Because that's one of the bigger differences right now is that they took small ICU, which added like a lot of it, it increased the binary size pretty dramatically. And if you want to take all of ICU, it it, it it makes the binary like 60 megs, I think. It's crazy big. So we really want to get that like like loadable at runtime rather than being like part of the default binary that everybody gets, right? Yeah, I don't think that that's just happening on the Node.js side. There's also a lot of IOJS stuff going into that. Yeah, there's a lot going on. IBM's getting involved, and we don't have anything going on. We're trying to pull together all the parties that should be notified. So, Trevor? I don't believe so. That was a fairly comprehensive overview. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right, so I'll talk about CodeShip and then we'll get into tracing. All right, so CodeShip is a free hosted continuous delivery service focused on simplicity and usability. So you can set up continuous integration really quickly in a few easy steps and automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. CodeShip has great support for a lot of languages and test frameworks. It integrates with GitHub, Bitbucket, lets use services like Heroku, AWS, and Modulus. Their new feature, Parallel CI, lets you run uh, your tests in parallel, which dramatically speeds up your deploys. Configure your project to use up to 10 parallel pipelines and get as much as 10x speed improvements for your test suite. CodeShip makes continuous delivery so simple, setup only takes a minute. CodeShip is totally free for open source projects. So if you go and sign up, you can get 100 builds a month and five uh, private projects for free, actually. So that should allow startups and freelancers and, and any open source projects to get started you know, without paying a dime. So for anyone that needs more builds for projects, you can use the discount code NOTEUP to get 20% off any plan for three months when signing up for a paid subscription. So head over to codeship.com slash NOTEUP to get started and be sure to follow them on Twitter at CodeShip. All right. Tracing. In IOJS, we started this tracing working group, and all these Google people showed up, which was great, because we learned about all this stuff that we would have had no idea if Google hadn't shown up. So we had our first meeting a couple weeks ago, and the big thing that, that Google has kind of let us in on is the thing called trace event. So I'll let Trevor actually explain what trace event is, because I think that he has a much deeper understanding than I do. It is a box of black magic. Uh, I don't even know how to exactly to explain it. Basically, they are they're allowing users 
to put probes into their code to allow tracing, but it's an asynchronous trace. So like you can't be notified the moment something happens. That's not what it's meant to do. It's meant to collect statistics while the application's running, but it does so with absolute minimum latency. So it affects your code, the performance of your code, almost none at all. They use some really awesome techniques and some multi-threading so that one thread can be throwing stuff on the stack, for example, then the other thread can read off of that. And they have a very comprehensive API, which is actually changing right now before it gets into V8. Right now, I believe they're I believe they're working right now with Chromium. No. Anyway, they have a patch that's posed to go into V8 and it probably will be going to V8 into V8 within a month and then it'll be available for anybody to use. Bradley, do you have anything to add to that? Just to kind of relate it to existing technologies. So right now we've got Node that has some D-trace probes and stuff like this. This is more towards what people would think D-trace for V8 itself, not from your operating system. Yeah, my understanding is that like in order to use it, it's just a small little like C header file, right? And then they're going to put probes all through V8, and they expect a lot of people to put other probes in other places. But then the sort of debugger protocol and all of the stuff that we're sort of used to and like the Chrome tools talking to it, that's all going to be built on top of this trace event endpoint from going forward, right? Yes, but that also requires you to basically the header file use it is just a bunch of defines. And it's up to you to define those. So you'll basically need to pull in their header file and then define all the functions in exactly how you want to pull the data out. It's very flexible that way. So basically, it will it will collect the data, and then you say, okay, well, now that you've collected the data, give it to me in this way. Yeah, and, and to reiterate what you said earlier, like the, you know, D-Trace and LTTNG, like those probes, you know, when you put them in, they fire and you get information right when they happen. Whereas like like the the experience of the V8 team right now is that like that just slows down code too much and, and it's too much like it gets abused too often and and so what they really want to do is and from their experience like doing the, the Chrome debugger tools and all of that, they want to take a bunch of data and then post process it like a little bit later. And it's not like you won't see data coming out of the Chrome tools while your app is running. It's just there's gonna be a little bit of a delay in there, right? Yeah, exactly. Well said. So from, from what I understood from the plan, what we talked about in the last working group meeting, so all of the places where we have system trace endpoints, we can also point those at trace event so that those probes now show up in the next generation debugger tools, right? Yes. The only, the, the only difference, again, is if anybody wants information like as it happens, at the moment it happens, they won't be able to use trace event. Trace event is simply to allow you to collect statistics, but then have it reported asynchronously. Because as you said, it's post-processed. Right, right, okay. And then Trevor, do you want to like do kind of an overview of async wrap and tell us what the status is there? Yeah, sure. And then I'll go ahead and also feed in trace event because the two are heavily related. So async wrap is, I rewrote node internals, or I would, whatever, internals, so that all asynchronous C++ classes, basically all classes, when they're instantiated, if they can in the future do something asynchronously, they inherit from this class async wrap. And it will then notify you, hey, this thing was instantiated. So if you create a server and you start listening 
it will let you know like hey a server was instantiated now that's not even saying like anything asynchronous has yet occurred it's only letting you know that something may occur on that request or that handle that way you can set up any resources and get prepared for that request then when asynchronous event occurs it gives you a before callback and an after callback just basically allows you to box the asynchronous event so you can keep track of how long it took or set up and tear down resources for error handling or things like that. This again is different than trace event. Now we can feed trace event into async wrap so we can collect statistics about what's going on, but trace event is in no way a replacement because async wrap does in fact execute the callbacks the moment things occur so that you can inject yourself into the stream of execution. Now, right now, there's only a JavaScript API, and I've made it so it has very minimal overhead, but it still does have a little bit of overhead. I do plan on implementing a C++ API for any native module authors out there who desire to tap in and have much lower latency. We will be implementing trace event into async wrap so we can keep statistics on these things. There are a few issues currently that are being worked out. One are timers and process next tick. Those are not handled by async wrap because they're all, those are all done in JavaScript. Basically, IO keeps a linked list of timers in JavaScript. And so when you instantiate a new timer, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything was instantiated lower in the C++ layer. And so you won't be notified of it. That's something I'm working on. I'm trying to figure out a good way to do that so that just existing doesn't prove any unnecessary overhead. One thing we're definitely going for is not entering into another issue like we have with domains where code is injected all over the place and it makes future development a total pain. And then the last one, which I honestly have no idea how we're going to do without the help of the VA team is execution of promises. Whenever you execute a promise, the executor is called immediately, but then the accept or reject callback or whatever you call them is executed in the future. Now that's handled by they're what they call the microtask processor. Unfortunately, there's no way to tap into that. And so you will lose asynchronous call stacks if you use promises. And there is no way we can get around that unless V8 implements an API that allows us to get into that execution flow. Yeah, Dominic and Nicola said that he has some ideas about how we can get in there. And they've already been talking about certain hooks into promises that can help this stuff. Okay. I'm hoping people can start using it now. There are a couple other small things coming up, like you'll be able to trace on the subsystem or provider type. Basically, you can say, like, only alert me to TCP events or only alert me to file system events, and then it'll filter out all calls that aren't that don't match the criterion you set. So then instead of capturing every synchronous event, because, I mean, Node does a lot of I.O., and that means that you're going to have a lot of events fire. And generally, people don't need to know everything, especially, say, for example, a shutdown request. Once you start up a server, right before it's brought down, another asynchronous request is made called a shutdown request on that handle. You don't need to be notified of that, or generally, right? That type of filtering will definitely help developers filter out exactly what they need and also have less of a performance impact. Bradley, I know that you've been working on like the Chrome debugger and some other kind of debugging and tracing related stuff. Do you want to tell us about that? I guess uh, last year I started trying to get in contact with people to help 
upgrade our debugger protocol. So this is the confusing thing. Technically, there are multiple debugger protocols. One is V8s, which is what Node uses. And that's like a bare bones, minimal feature set. You can't do everything you do in Chrome DevTools with that protocol. And that's what we have right now. And then Chrome DevTools, which is what we want to get to, has all these things like integration with tracing, profiling, and all of that. So after a few months of kind of pinging everybody I could, we got in contact with the V8 team and the Chrome DevTools team. And they helped me and Thorsten figure out how to pull that out. And we made a proof of concept, which Thorsten called Debugian. Debugium. And then after we made the proof of concept, the Chrome team got really excited because IOJS was upgrading V8 to relatively recent stuff, and it kept upgrading. And now they're going to help us port the Chrome protocol to Node. So not only are we going to be running a slightly different protocol, which we'll be breaking slightly, but we'll be able to debug straight with Chrome DevTools rather than having to do things like Node Inspector. But that's currently in progress. I wouldn't say it's going to be ready anytime soon because it's a big code base. But I would say, you know, within a year, we should have it fully pulled out in, in at least one of the two forks. So, yeah. But this is important because not only are we talking about the protocol, we needed things like async wrap. So if you've ever used Chrome DevTools, there's the idea of asynchronous stack traces. So an asynchronous stack trace is basically a way for any asynchronous event to save the current stack. So all your variables, what functions you're currently in, and say, I'm going to continue on later. Just follow this handler. And it does basically just a quick memory copy of whatever is in those things. But we didn't have an existing system to actually save that. And that was one of the big concerns with the Chrome debugger. But now we do. Trevor made async wrap, and we're probably going to tap into that once we get a little further along. And then we'll have asynchronous stack traces. And if Dominic is already working on the hooks for promises, maybe we'll have debuggable promises without having to do really hacky things that slow down your code, like long stack traces. Don't they refer to that protocol as the Blink protocol? Or am I think talking about something else? If you really want to know, there's like a huge amount of history with what I call the Chrome DevTools protocol or the Chrome protocol, usually. So... What happened was, way back when, the WebKit debugger made a specification, actually, for a debugging protocol, and they published it. So V8 created their own implementation of this, and they created what they felt was needed, mostly like breakpoints, the ability to evaluate code, 
but they didn't implement anything that's really nice to have, like profiling, heap dumps, tracing, because that wasn't really in their goals for V8. And then Chrome came along, and they wanted to make good dev tools because Safari's dev tools were evolving. And so the V8 team couldn't keep up with the demands. And the Chrome dev tools people started hooking directly into V8 with C++. And they kind of created this superset of the V8 protocol, which eventually forked and is no longer 100% compatible. So you can think of the Chrome protocol as like this daisy chain to the V8 protocol to the WebKit protocol. And they're all like very similar API-wise. They all send JSON objects and they've got similar object types, but they're not quite the same in how they work, which is a little confusing. The Chrome team, though, has made efforts to state what is stable, and we're currently trying to get more things in stable because like profiling is not declared stable for the protocol, and we really want everything to be stable so we don't have to do this big breaking change ever again. Yeah, I remember in the in the meeting, Paul Irish said that there are things, there are more things that are stable than what is marked as stable. <laughs> so, they're I think they're open to to officially marking them. Let's talk about require safe. So, require safe is Lyft Security's latest offering to the Node Security world. Uh, if you haven't heard, Lyft Security created the Node Security project to audit all the modules in NPM. Uh, the Node community has since grown exponentially to where the registry is you know, pushing 130,000 modules. The problem requires safe aims to solve is whose code are you running in production? And, and to, to clarify that, Require Safe offers dedicated resources looking after their third-party code for subscribers, early warning and recommendations for remediation when an issue is identified, documentation for developers on common gotchas when using certain modules, and integration with your development tools and CI tools. So as sensitive vulnerabilities become resolved and public, this info will be made available to the community at large. It just goes into this smaller pool first so that we can iterate. Require Safe is currently available in beta. To check it out, visit requiresafe.com. If you're interested in hearing more about Lyft Security's auditing services, or you want to bring a security-first mindset to your team's development process, you should contact Lyft at liftsecurity.io or at liftsecurity on Twitter. Great guys over there. Uh, Adam Baldwin is fantastic. They've done a lot for the community. And they're, they're really like the only game in town for node security. So if you care about security and you're doing node stuff, you need to get a hold of them. All right. So last part here is about the reconciliation proposal. It's been kind of hot on Twitter lately, but basically we started to get a lot of questions in the IOJS project about what it would look like if the project reconciled and people were worried about you know, their, their work or the, the continued kind of work that they're doing being jeopardized by a potential merger. So I was asked to write up a proposal for what it would look like if the two projects merged and come up with a really solid plan. 
So, I mean, for the most part, we, we end up taking a lot of the infrastructure and governance from the IOGES side because it's just more defined and we have a lot more working groups and a lot more infrastructure to, to offer. But there's a big question here about, you know, like, okay, so we, we take the 1.x IOJS line as the current line of development, but what about 0.12 and 0.10 and even 0.8? There's a lot of people still running those versions. We, we need a good plan to, to help support them. So the, the plan also has an LTS, a long-term support strategy in it, where we basically form working group around long-term support and we we have a really good strategy for you know dependencies that are no longer maintained by the former by, by that project anymore we also take responsibility for those and that falls into this working group and they sort of define you know what their process is for getting in backported changes and what their process is for how long they they maintain support for a particular release so this allows like a lot of the companies and people that really care a lot about long-term support and have a big financial incentive to continue supporting it, they get to define sort of how long a particular version gets supported and pool their resources together in order to make that happen. Do you guys have anything to say about the reconciliation proposal stuff? I guess the hard thing for all the reconciliation proposals for me is just the version jumping around. It's kind of like how we went Windows XP to Windows 7. Well, we had Vista in between, but I don't count that. And now we're jumping from 8 to 10, and it's just confusing to me. I think it's for the best, but... Wait, what, wait, what do you mean, we're jumping from 8 to 10? Well, we have Windows 8, and then there's a very hilarious story about why we can't have Windows 9. And so... Well, we <laughs> no, no, but I mean, in relation to IOJS, like... Well... Because uh, like, we have a linear line of versions. If we, yeah, if we take the 1.x line as, as current, then it's pretty linear. Yeah, but there are people in the thread who are arguing all sorts of crazy stuff about how, like, 12 should be considered the current, and I don't know. People are arguing about this, but as long as it stays in order, I think we'll be okay. Don't do don't anything think- funny. I didn't see anyone in the thread say that 12 should be current. Uh, maybe I misread it. A lot of this stuff is going on really late at night, if people don't know. <laughs> I feel like you might have a reverse sleep schedule, though. So really late might be like the afternoon. but <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Trevor, do you have anything to say? Or are you good? I'm good. We can move on to plugs. I'm- Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Trevor, think of a plug. Think of something that you want to plug real quick. We'll start with Bradley. Bradley, talk to us. There's Babel.js. It used to be called 6 to 5, but 6 to 5 realized ES6 is not going to be the end of its life. So, they rebranded 6 to 5 as Babel.js. And so. Well, 6 to 5 has had ES7 stuff in it for a while, right? <laughs> so. So, it hasn't really been 6 to 5 for a while. I'm going to comment on that then. ES7 stuff in 6 to 5 is really kind of risky to use. Most of the 6 stuff is really rock solid. So I avoid the ES7 stuff because things like the async function spec changes still. But yeah, it's not 6 to 5. It's Babel.js now, and it's not just ES6. It's also got ES7. It's got some experimental stuff that isn't even in a spec. Really, all I want to shout out here is I love generators. And if you 
ever have trouble convincing somebody what's good in ES6, take a look at generators and the fact that you can use try and finally. I don't care about try catch actually. All my code is try finally because I want to clean up any sort of weird state I've caused the program to be in and just let the error flow back out. So 6 to 5 it by far is the most readable of the code compilers that I've seen. So I love it. And yeah, that's it. Also, the new argument definition stuff is really clean. Like it, it, it's there and it looks like it's always been in the language and you just didn't know about it. All right, Trevor, you're up. All right. I'm going to say that everybody should embrace their inner craziness and start using a module I wrote at really late at night. It's one of those that when you're done, you look back on the next day and think, wow, did I seriously just write that? It's called Reblaze. Thanks, D. Shaw, for re changing the name to something that doesn't suck. But basically what it allows you to do is dynamically rewrite your functions. I've seen a lot of code optimizations done where they write a function actually in a string, but unfortunately like code editors don't like to syntax highlight that and it just looks ugly. Reblaze will allow you to write a function normally and then allow you to rewrite that on the fly. It'll take the string of the function and replace specific things in it, and so you can do code optimizations that way and actually dynamically generate your, your JavaScript. And then I've also been playing with allowing it to like pass functions to, say, a, a worker. So instead of like needing to open up like another file through a child process or whatnot, you can actually pass the JavaScript to another thread and have it executed on the, on the other thread from your thread. Really confusing, but it's really fun to use. And... I like it because it allows you to see some of the more quirky sides of JavaScript and and improve performance of your code at extreme cost of usability. But hey, who cares about usability if your code's fast? Awesome. Awesome. I, I just went on Twitter and told Jay Dalton about that because I was like, he needs to see this. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to plug NodeConf because I've been working on a lot of NodeConf stuff lately and it's going to be super, super awesome. So by the time this goes up, there will be more speakers announced and we'll probably have adventure tickets now, but it's going to be like the most kind of ambitious NodeConf yet in terms of talks and presentation and everything. So if you haven't yet, get your NodeConf ticket. That's about it. All right. So let's crank through the upcoming events here. So we've got a NodeConf one shot in Christchurch on March 28th in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, it's going to be pretty great. We have JSConf Uruguay, April 24th and 25th in Montevideo. You can check that out at jsconf.ui. Oh, sorry. Uh, for Christchurch One Shot, go to christchurch.nodeconf.com. Then we've got EmpireJS, April 26th and 27th in New York City. Go to 2015.empirejs.org. Then we've got Web Rebels and then NodeConf One Shot Oslo right afterwards. So that's uh, Web Rebels will be May 21st and 22nd. And then on the 23rd, there'll be a NodeConf One Shot. So you can go to webrebels.org and oslo.nodeconf.com. Then we got Camp JS by the wonderful Tim Oxley in Melbourne, Australia, May 22nd through 25th. So go to campjs.com. Then, you know, the, the absolutely famous, wonderful Chris Williams Conference, JSConf US, May 27th through 29th on Amelia Island. You can check that out at 2015.jsconf.us. 
And then there's NoteConf, June 28th and 29th in the Fox Theater. And then shortly after, NoteConf Adventure for four days after that. So you can check all that out at nodeconf.com. And we've just got a new website up courtesy of Carolina. So uh, that's awesome stuff. So everyone should follow NodeUp on Twitter to get all of your awesome NodeUp updates. And then uh, you can sponsor NodeUp. Just email NodeUp at gmail.com for more info. And that's it. Goodbye. <laughs>